These fishermen were followers of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist now has been placed in prison, so they return back to their vocation, that of fishing. Christ comes along and he summons these men. He bids them to follow him. It's an invitation. It was time now for them to be called into what God had created them to do. And this is a decision, at least, that all of us need to make. Are we going to fulfill what God has placed us on this earth to do? Because God created you and God created me and God formed us to do something while we're on the top side of this earth. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Well, let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to the Gospel of Mark in the first chapter. Mark chapter 1. We're in a series here on the Gospel of Mark, and it opens with the introduction of John the Baptist out there preaching in the wilderness and the first prophet from heaven or from God in 400 years. So that's quite a uh, spectacle. People are coming out there to see him. And of course, Jesus Christ shows up and he gets baptized by John there. And he begins his earthly ministry preaching the gospel of repentance and faith. And we find out now that uh, he's come to the next step. And so if you would go back with me in your mind's eye, about 2,000 years We find that in the northern part of Israel, there's a town by the name of Capernaum. And in the north central part of Israel, there's a lake known as the Lake of Gennesaret or Tiberias or better known as the Sea of Galilee. Our scenario today takes place with that as a backdrop. We pick it up in verse number 16. We're going to look at about seven verses here. Mark 1.16 says, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, And they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. As I look at this passage, there's something that sticks out to me. I hope it does to you as well, and that is how these men forsook everything to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll be talking about that, forsaking all to follow Christ. But let's pray first, shall we? Now, our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the privilege that's ours to get to follow our Savior, to be called and to be used and to have a purpose in life. And Father, we pray now that you would help us as God's people listen carefully today to find that purpose, that calling, your will, and to be faithful in it. For we pray now and ask for your help, all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you look over here to my left, you'll see what we know to be the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is not really a sea, although it's called that. It's more like a good-sized lake. You find bigger lakes in Minnesota even than that. It's really only about 13 miles by about 7 miles in area there. But it's located 680 feet below sea level. It's the source of the Jordan River, which heads down south and, of course, feeds the Dead Sea. 
which is the lowest spot on the face of the earth. You'll notice that the Sea of Galilee is kind of shaped like a harp. And that's why it has the name actually Gennesaret, which means harp, the Sea of Gennesaret, or Tiberius, as the Romans called it back at that time for obvious reasons. It's a very deep lake. It actually uh, is uh, surrounded by mountains, so it keeps going down. And it's about 165 feet deep at its lowest point. If you can imagine one of our lakes east of us here being that deep. But it has very fresh water. And there is the setting for today. And it involves some fishermen. And these fishermen were followers of John the Baptist. And, and John the Baptist now has been placed in prison. So they, they return back to their vocation, that of fishing. And we would expect that when an itinerant preacher shows up, and calls them, and summons them, and they forsake all to follow him. As we look at this passage here, we see three things. And first of all, we see what I call a sacrificial parting. Christ comes along and he summons these men. He bids them to follow him. It's an invitation. It's a uh, forsaking of everything to follow him. Notice verse 16. It says, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishers. Notice they're casting a net into the sea. When we picture a net, it's normally when we're angling and we bring a fish up to the boat and we put a little net down and we bring it in with the net. But the net these, these fishermen were using back there in the first century was about a, a net 20 feet in diameter. So picture this thing that's 20 feet. It has weights on the outside of it. And then it has a, a drawstring through the perimeter part of it there. What they would do, and they would take two of them, and, and you had to get skilled at it, is they would bundle it up just so. They'd hang on to part of it and release the other part. And it was kind of like a one, a two. And they would heave it out to where it landed into, in the water. The weights pulled it down to the bottom. And they would uh, go down there afterwards and obviously have to hold their breath a while. And they would, they would pull it in with a drawstring. It, it was roped back to a pulley on the boat. And they would pull up whatever they could from that, that draft. They called it a fish through that rope and that net. And it was a thriving business there in, in Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. Historians tell us there were at least 16 harbors, and there were hundreds of men who made their living this way, and, and these were two of them. And evidently, there was a partnership that took place, and it was a lucrative one. In fact, uh, you find Peter and Andrew uh, in this business, and John and James also in this business, along with their dad, Zebedee. Now, we called them fishermen as though they were poor and, and such, but no, they had servants. Uh, we'll read about that in another place. In fact, Peter owned his own house there in Capernaum. Evidently, uh, he made some pretty good money. John, by the way, we find in another place, was even known to the high priest. So he was no little peon. Let's get the backdrop here. We find, first of all, in verse 16, it mentions two men, Simon and Andrew, his brother. Now, I think Jesus Christ already knew these men at this point. I don't think this is the first time he had met them. I think he had met them a few months earlier. And so when they received this summons from God himself to follow him, they already realized this was Jesus Christ. It was time now for them to be called into what God had created them to do. And, and this is a decision, at least, that all of us need to make. Are we going to fulfill what God has placed us on this earth to do? Because God created you, and God created me, and God formed us to do something while we're on the top side of this earth. We read this in Isaiah 44, 2. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. 
By the way, isn't that encouraging to know? God's callings are God's enablings. And so don't ever shrink back saying, well, I couldn't do that. The Bible says, faithful is he that calleth you who will what? Also do it. That's called God's grace. God formed you. God created you. And it says he'll also help you. God formed you from the womb to do something on the top side of this earth. We use the expression, you were created for this. I was created for this. And we were. God made us to do something. You know, when I was, I think, 14 years of age, I decided I was going to be an electrician. We were building a home at that time out at Maple Lake. And my dad hired an electrician. He came by and I helped him wire just the basement part there. And I told my siblings afterwards, that's what I want to do. I want to be an electrician. Well, I stuck with that decision. Through 15, 16, I got a job finally. I was old enough to get one. Uh, I went to, uh, to school to learn more about it after I graduated high school. I went into the electrical business after I, I had graduated from college. And, and I thought, this is what I'm supposed to do with the rest of my life. I thought I'll branch into other things from there. But, you know, God had something else in mind for me. And that's why I'm standing here right now. Obviously, I, I wouldn't be here if it was my brothers and my calling. But when God calls us to do something, and, and it's not always a preacher or a missionary or a church staff, whatever it is, if it's the will of God, it's important. And, and we need people of all stripes and likes and vocations and, and jobs to fulfill the perfect will of God and make the world go round, as they say. Now, notice what happens in verse 17. And Jesus said unto them, that is Simon and Andrew, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Now notice here, this is not a request. There's no pretty please here. It's not like there's an, uh, an option here. We find out he said, follow me, and they follow him. You know, the, the rabbis were always saying, follow Moses. And that's why the Pharisees and such were always using Moses as a comparison but Jesus Christ didn't say follow the law. He didn't say follow Moses. He didn't say follow the Torah or the Pentateuch or any of that stuff. He said follow me. The summons, the invocation was to follow him, the ultimate authority. And the command is extreme. It really is. It's non-negotiable. There's no clause here. It's very unique. It's unmistakable. They are to abandon everything they had to follow Jesus Christ. Think about it. They had dreams and goals from the time they were a boy as well, didn't they? They were going to build this fishing business up. They were going to make money. And they were going to be successful. Now, there's more to the story, really, than what we even read here. In fact, remember how Mark is just kind of sound bits and snippets and, and just the facts, ma'am, if you will. But Luke gives us a little bit more insight that actually Christ had preached a message first and then afterwards told Peter to lower his net and our nets, and, and uh, they caught too many fish, and the net broke. And, and that's when Peter hit his knees and said, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And that's when Christ actually said, Follow me, and I'll make you be a fisher of men. That's the whole story, if you will. But there's this sacrificial parting. This sacrificial parting that takes place when Jesus Christ calls us. Somebody so well said that you're either a missionary or you're the mission field. And what do we mean by that? Well, the mission field is those who are lost, those who have never been saved. And anyone who's never been born again is on that side of the fence. They are the mission field. They need to be reached. We have by the back doors of the sanctuary, you're now entering the mission field. And the, the, the great commission is given. So you're either the mission field or you're a missionary. 
Now, what's a missionary? Well, he's an evangelist. He's somebody with the plan of salvation. He's somebody who's trying to reach those on the other side of the fence and bring them into the kingdom of Christ. It's quite a job. There are seven, over seven billion people in this world right now. Think about it. Let that figure set in. They need salvation. They need Christ. They don't even know they don't have Christ. Many of them are even religious and think everything's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. And we're all going to heaven. But it's not okay. They don't know that they don't know. For over 20 years, I didn't know. I went to church. I'd been baptized. I took communion. I did all that stuff. But I was as lost as could be. I had never been born again by God's grace. And I think you'd say the same thing. You didn't know beforehand, did you? Not for the most part, you didn't. There are 7 billion people in that condition. And it's overwhelming. It really is. Many years ago, D.L. Moody who preached in the latter 1900s, he was overwhelmed by how many lost people there were and how little he was doing to reach them. He was doing his best until finally he got something from God. He, he said, really, the, the world is an ocean of people drowning in sin. And God has made every one of us a lifeboat. And all we can do is try and get as many people into the lifeboat as possible before Jesus Christ comes. And do our part in our little corner of the world. It's quite a task. Now notice in verse 17. Jesus said unto them. Come ye after me. And I will make you to become fishers of men. Notice the word become. I thought of it this last week. Have I become a fisher of men? Have you become a fisher of men? It's, it's something you must decide to become. I tried to make that decision. At least for the most part. The night I got saved. In fact, while the preacher was leading me to Christ, he noticed that I was kind of bothered about something, and that was the verses that he was, was showing me there. And uh, finally he said, you're really concerned about knowing where these verses are. And I said to him, I said, yeah, there are a lot of people I want to show this to. I wasn't even saved myself yet. And uh, he said, just relax, I've got this all written down, I'll give it to you after we're done. It's like, okay, now I can just listen. But I, I thought of my parents who needed Christ. I thought of my siblings who needed Christ. I thought of my co-worker, Jack, who, who needed Christ. In fact, the very next day, I went back to work. And uh, I was a bull in a china shop, really. I, I had a lot of zeal without knowledge. And I just kind of, this is what you need. I almost tried to shake salvation into them. And of course, you can't do that. But there are people, and they're lost. I believe in a literal hell. I don't know about you. And I believe in an eternity that lasts forever. And if you take those two components and you put them together, it's, it's a shocking thing, isn't it? Christ said that the road to hell is broad and wide and many are on it. The road to heaven is straight and narrow and few there be that find it. And if that be true, and it is, we have an assignment before us. It can overwhelm us. But we are to become fishers of men. People are going to spend forever in one of two places. That first year I got saved, I had a neighbor that died prematurely. I was devastated. I talked to him, but I hadn't really had a chance to talk to him like I wanted to, and there have been other since. But are we fishers of men? Notice that expression in verse 17. I will make you to become fishers of men. As he said that to Andrew and Simon, they understood what he was talking about. They were fishermen. And I believe we have a lot of fishermen here today. Of course, we go about it a different way. I go fishing once a year up in Canada. We take three, four days, and we go up there, and we, we put lures on, on, on fishing line, and we bounce the bottom, and we catch walleye, and we bring them in, and, and we, we change lures, and we try different things. 
you know, I had a preacher tell me years ago, if Christian people are to be fishers of men, uh, some things reach this person that wouldn't reach that person. And, and uh, change the lures up, if you will. We have a lot of different ministries here at Fargo Baptist. Now, I was talking to somebody this last week. It was the Faith for Life paper that reached them. I was talking to somebody else this last week. It was a radio station that reached them. Uh, we, we're trying to get as many hooks in the water as possible and reach as many people as possible because I believe that in everybody's life there comes a time when they are, they're, they're open and they're seeking and they're, they're reasoning and they're reflecting and, and they're wondering. It's sometimes after a funeral where, where they stop and muse within their own heart thinking, you know, where is that person now? Sometimes it's after a broken relationship. Uh, they speculate. They know there's more to life than this. I mentioned in the hour before this one a Super Bowl quarterback who even said there's got to be more to, to life than this. People know they're missing something. And they're deliberating and contemplating and, and musing in their heart. What is it? What am I missing? You know, you never know what's going on in somebody's heart, do you? I often, um, I'm, I'm often amazed at the conversion of the jailer in Acts chapter 16, where there's this earthquake, and he comes out asking, what must I do to be saved? And you go, where did that come from? Well, he might have been witnessed to beforehand by Paul and Silas. It might have been the songs they were singing, but... No doubt his heart was ready and, and tender and prepared because of some things that were going on in his life. And he was at a time when he was open to the gospel. And we need to speak up at such times, folks. You never know when it is. Here's these fishermen, and they had calloused hands, but they were done making a living with their hands now. They were going to make a living with their mouth, with their tongues, with their hearts. And Jesus says to him in verse 17, Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. If we'll follow the Lord like we ought to, he will make us to become fishers of men. As believers, we're the fishermen. As the unsaved, they're the fish. The world is the sea. The net is the gospel that we cast out into the sea. And the shore that we drag them up to is heaven, eternal shore. You get the picture here? These fishermen were done using their hands and now would use their mouth and on Pentecost, thousands would get saved when they spoke the word. When they would speak the word later, an Ethiopian man would get saved and take the gospel back to Africa. There would be a Jewish rabbi in Acts chapter 9 who would need the gospel. There would be a Roman centurion in Acts chapter 10 that would need the gospel. There would be an Asian a businesswoman later on that would need the gospel and a Greek jailer who would need the gospel. And, and the gospel was taken to them and others and, and migrated over into the UK eventually. And over here on boats. And when we needed it in the 20th or 21st century, it was there. Thank God for that. As a church, are we fishers of men? As an individual, are you a fisher of men? Is it passing a track or, or developing a friendship with somebody that you can witness to or, or looking for somebody to engage in a Bible study with? That's what Christ is calling us to. Now in verse 18, after this calling, it says, And straightway they forsook their nets. And followed him. They forsook their nets. In fact, they forsook more than their nets. Luke gives us a little more insight in Luke 5.11. It says, And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. They forsook all. It's remarkable. Would we have done that? Would I have done that? Would you have done that? I mean, these guys weren't patsies and pushovers. These were hardy fishermen. 
And they could have said, ah, forget it. It's remarkable, but they dropped everything. They forsook all their dreams, their goals. I mean, it's total compliance here. They forsook all. It's like they're hypnotized. Yes, master. And, and they just drop everything. And they follow him. Would we have done that? I read in Luke 14, 33, Christ says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. That's sobering, isn't it? Whosoever forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. That's quite a commitment. You know, we have a very loose gospel being preached today, really watered down, really noncommittal. But this is what Christ said. Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. God help us not to get so entangled in this life to where we're not following Christ as a disciple the way we ought to. I'm not going to have you turn there, but I am going to read you a little passage here from Luke 19. Something that took place years later, but Peter probably remembered this and remembered what Christ had said. And in Luke 19 and in verse number 27, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. Folks, is it worth it? I dare say it's greatly worth it. You know, I mentioned a Jewish rabbi a moment ago who was saved on the Damascus Road, and he forsook everything to, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know at the time if he knew what that meant, but it meant jails and whippings and imprisonment and bonds and starvation and cold and heat and everything else that goes with suffering and persecution. You know, I speak of the Apostle Paul. He gave up a lot to follow Christ, didn't he? Did he have any regrets? We read this in Philippians 3 and verse number 8, where he said, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. We know what that is. That I might win Christ. Now he gave up a lot. He gave up his profession. He gave up the respectability of being on the, the, the Sanhedrin and, uh, and being a Pharisee and, and being well-known and an up-and-coming star in the Jewish religion. But he said, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He said, I've suffered the loss of all things. It doesn't matter that I might win Christ. We see this sacrificial parting. But secondly, we see this sincere pursuit in our text back here in Mark 1 again. Notice in verse 19, the Lord's not done. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. Here we're introduced to James and John, two of the future apostles here. Christ nicknamed them the sons of Borgangeres, or the sons of thunder. Uh, apparently they had a temper, they had anger issues, that's what he meant by that. Sons of thunder means sons of contention. Know anyone like that? Contentious? I'm <laughs> sure you do. Mary Mary, quite contrary, you know, always digging in and not cooperating. And, and uh, that, that sons of thunder business means the sons of, of uh, trouble and turbulence. 
And it was these two guys that when they got a little opposition in Samaria, were ready to kill the people. We read in Luke chapter 9 and verse 54 that when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Notice they were the sons of thunder, weren't they? They were contentious. Are you contentious, by the way? It's something to really wonder about. Hopefully not. The goal is, if you are contentious when you get saved, if you are uh, troublesome and, and, uh, and, and disturbing, and, and, uh, and like these two guys, there is hope. We can grow. They did. John did. John became one of the most tender apostles, I think, of all. He wrote five books of the Bible, including the last one in the great gospel of John. And so God did a work in his life. And as for James, James gave his life for the cause of Christ. You know that James was the very first martyr out of the apostles. Out of the 12, he was the very first one to be beheaded in Acts chapter 12 and to die. And, and how could he have known when he signed on that that's what it would mean? It would cost him his life. But that's really what we all sign into when we get saved. It's a blank check that we give God and we allow him to fill in the blank. And 34 years ago, I gave God that blank check. And, and, and uh, let me just say, I said in the hour before this one, there have been strains and, and burdens and, and a lot of work and all that. But I have no regrets whatsoever when I consider who it's all done for. Amen? Who are you doing it for? We're doing it for the one who died for us. Now, we're all going after something. And I was going after something before I got saved. There was an objective to, to build a business, to make money, and so on and so forth. When you get saved, God gives you something so far much greater than that, honestly, and, and a joy with it. And so these guys are forsaken everything to follow Christ. They don't know what they're getting into, really. But I dare say today up in heaven, they're glad they did. Now, notice in verse 19 something else from this. The last part of verse 19 mentions that they were in the ship mending their nets. This is important. When Christ called them, they were busy working. Now, let that sink in for just a moment here because there are some Christian people who aren't serving, they aren't working, they're, they're kind of sitting around. They're not standing on the promises, they're sitting on the premises. And instead of serving the Lord, they're just kind of, you know, just waiting for Christ to come back again. Well, these guys were working. These guys were busy when our Savior called them. You know, I had a guy in Bible college, and uh, we were in about the same year of Bible college. I didn't know exactly where I was going to be going when I graduated, and neither did he. I came back one fall, and he wasn't there. I caught up with him later on. I said, uh, how come you're not in Bible college this semester? He said, oh, I, I, I'm not going to go on with Bible college until God shows me where I'm going to go. And I thought to myself, that's not the deal. <laughs> that's not how it works. We, by faith, go forward, and God will be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path as we take the next step. I just kept taking next steps, and by graduation, I knew. You know, he never went back to Bible college, and he never went on with his call into the ministry. God calls us when we are serving already. God calls us when we are working. There was a guy years ago who was at a, a, a D.L. Moody meeting. I mentioned him a moment ago. And after the service was over, he came up to D.L. Moody and he said, you know, you were in town here 10 years ago and, and I got saved. And D.L. Moody looked at him, didn't mean anything by it, but he said, and what have you done for the Lord since then? And the guy's head just drooped and Brother Moody had his answer. What are we doing for the Lord since our salvation? Are we staying busy? God can't steer a, a vessel that's not moving. These guys were working already and God called them to the next level. And he said, come 
and follow me. Now, notice who the Son of God is calling here. So far, there's, there's no kings, right? There's no politicians. There's, there's no famous. There's no rich. There's no one like that. We find these fishermen being called into the ministry. We have a verse on that. It's found in 1 Corinthians one twenty six. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. You don't find the, uh, the people who are puffed up with pride over their intelligence getting saved much. Now, you don't find the, the rich and the famous, although it's not impossible, but, but God doesn't so much deal with them because their pride and self-righteousness normally get in the way. Why is it that you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called? Why is that? Well, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. In other words, God gets the glory that way. And so God calls these fishermen. He calls Andrew and Simon. He calls James and John. And they are called to serve him in a certain capacity in fact, this would, this would be a good time to stop here and just mention that not everybody is called to the same calling. In fact, you find two totally different wills here in just these two brothers, James and John. You find that James doesn't live very long after Christ goes back to heaven. He's the first martyr of the apostles. He dies about 44 AD. John, does, he never is martyred. He lives to be roughly 100, dies around 100 A.D., serves the Lord faithfully for over 70 years. And you say, well, why is that? I don't know, but God is sovereign, isn't he? Let God be God, folks, and let's not compare ourselves to others. Now, three years later, we find this interesting. The Bible says that they left Zebedee, and, and they forsook their nets, and Dad was going, hey, guys, where are you going? And they said, we're following him. We're following the Messiah. We read in Matthew 10.37, Christ says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's quite a commitment again, isn't it? Do we really count the cost when we get into this Christianity thing? Now, in this case, let me just say this. I don't know where dad stood as far as his salvation. And Zebedee were never told that. I do believe that their mother, the mother of James and John, had to have been a born-again Christian. Because we find when Christ is suffering on the cross in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-five, that there were many women which were beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joses, and the mother of Zebedee's children. There she is. These boys had mom in their corner at least, and they were born-again Christians, all serving the Lord together, and I'm sure they're all glad today that they did. You know, there was a, a bright wealthy young man years ago by the name of William Borden, who was heir to the Borden milk fortune. But he turned his back on all of that in his mid-twenties to go to China to serve the Lord as a missionary. Did not even reach it when he was stricken, I think, in Egypt and died at age 25 with some disease. But he had written in his Bible these words before he died, no reserves, no retreat, and no regret. And if we serve the Lord and we forsake all to follow him, Folks, there'll be no regret. The apostles gave up everything. Was it worth it? Well, we've seen the sacrificial parting and the sincere pursuit. Finally, let's take a look at this substantial profit. In verse 21, it says, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. Now notice they went into Capernaum. What was Capernaum? Well, Capernaum means village 
of Nahum. Nahum was a prophet from the Old Testament, and that might have been his hometown. And we find here on this map over to my left, you find Nazareth there near the Blue Arrow. And then if you go up north, you find Capernaum. Capernaum is right on the northern tip of the the Sea of Galilee there. It uh, had a promenade that that went about a half a mile with this seawall that hovered over the sea about by eight feet tall. So there's a little eight-foot drop-off there. It was a perfect place to put these piers. And they had a number of piers that went even 100 feet out into the water there in Capernaum. Notice also that it's, it's a main road place from the east and west and north. You can't get there except by boat in the south. And so it was a, it was a main trade route there. It was a major city at the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. Josephus says there was a huge water spring there. The historian tells us that. And so after Christ was rejected in Nazareth, he went north and he set up headquarters, if you will, there up in Galilee in the, in the town of Capernaum. We read in Matthew 4, 13, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtalim. Here's his headquarters, and we find out immediately he goes to the synagogue. Notice in verse number 21, they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. Notice he was faithful to the house of God at that time. He attended. He didn't forsake the assembling of himself together. And he's going to be asked to say some things. Now, you could go into a synagogue in those days on Saturday, and if you were learned in the Old Testament, in the Torah, the Pentateuch, and such, you would be asked to get up and, and say something. They called it the freedom of the synagogue, and, and you could turn to an Old Testament passage, and you could teach from it. In fact, we find years later, the Apostle Paul would be in a Jewish synagogue, uh, many miles from home in Acts thirteen fifteen. It says, And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And so imagine Christ walking into your synagogue. Imagine God in your town. God in your synagogue. Was he well received? Well, we know this about Capernaum. They must have blown him off. They must have been oblivious to who he was. Because later on, he's cursing the towns around that northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. And he says in Luke 10, 15, And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, that means prideful, shalt be thrust down to hell. Why? Because God was in their town and they missed it. They were oblivious to the fact God was there. I thought of that this last week. May we not be oblivious to this place and God's presence here and what we have here as being special. Now notice finally in verse number 22. It says, he taught, in verse 21, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Notice he had something to say, something worthwhile, something beneficial. Did any of you grow up, don't raise your hand, but grow up in a church where you listened to sermon after sermon, week after week, and it was like, what did he say, you know? It didn't do anything for you. It didn't help you. Well, here we find a worthwhile message. It's profitable. It's, it's helpful. It's beneficial. It's astonishing. And in Luke 4.32, it says, they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. How could he be so humble and yet so powerful? You know, the, the uh, rabbis at that time, when they taught in their synagogues, uh, they would just quote Rabbi so-and-so who's quoting Rabbi so-and-so who's quoting this rabbi and that rabbi. 
and they would back up their message with credibility that way. Jesus came, came along and he said, but I say unto you, but I say unto you. It doesn't get any higher than that. There was substance in what he said. There was power in, in what he said. You know, we live in a day and age where churches today are sacrificing and substituting all kinds of things for the presence of God. We brought bands in and stage shows and mood lighting and, and uh, touchy feeling stuff and, and uh, whatever it is that will stir the people up, even if it's worldly and contemporary. And you find that extreme in churches today, or you find the the other extreme of, of deadness and, and ritualism and, and fancy garbs and all that kind of thing. Anything to give people a little bit more of a religious tingle. Folks, if we have the Word of God, the power of God, we don't need anything more than that. And we find here in verse 22, they were astonished at His doctrine. Let me just say this about truth. We live in a day and age where truth is astonishing. Because we've been told the wrong for so long... That when you come along with the truth, it's like, what? I'll never forget when I heard salvation by grace the first time. I had grown up in a, in a religion that taught you got to be baptized in order to get to heaven. you got to join the church. you got to take communion. you got to do a bunch of good works and so on and so forth. When somebody came along and, and told me salvation is free, it was like, no, you're lying. You know, I never read the Bible enough to know what it had to say. I was just kind of taking everybody's word for it. But the truth was astounding to me. And it is to so many today. You know, the Bible says in Titus 3, 5, that it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And there may be somebody sitting here today, you go, huh? You can't work your way to heaven? No, it's not by works of righteousness. In fact, we find in Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God and not of works. You cannot work your way to heaven. It is a gift. If you try and earn it, it ceases to be a gift. Now, that's the truth, folks. And the truth can be astonishing. You know, in the winter of 1980-1981, as I began to look at the truth from God's Word, I realized I was a sinner and a serious sinner. And God was serious about sin. And it wasn't a joke, not something He swept under the carpet. I realized I was on the road to hell, trusting in all the wrong stuff, And found that there was only one thing that could pay for my sins. The shed blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. I had to place my faith in that act on Calvary's cross to atone for my sins. And I was born again. In repentance, I changed my mind about my sin. In faith, I turned to the Savior and called upon Him that Thursday night and asked Him to save me. And I was born again the Bible way. That is salvation. Notice they were astounded at His doctrine. In verse number 22, it says, Why? For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. What a slam, huh? (laughs) He taught them as one who had authority, not like the scribes. Uh, Apparently the scribes were rookies and uh, hurting themselves with the Bible. And and you've probably been in Bible studies like that to where, you know, you read a verse and what's it mean to you? Well, here's what it means to me. What's it mean to you? Oh, well, here's what it means to me. What's it mean to you? And so on and so forth. No authority. No authority. Jesus Christ got up and he said, this is the way it is. And boy, the people went, wow, that's not like the scribes. The scribes were leading the people at that time, but it was the blind leading the blind, wasn't it? And you have that yet going on today. Well, what is the substantial profit that we find in forsaking all and following Christ? Think of these apostles giving up three square meals a day, giving up a uh, lucrative business, their livelihood, 
a, a soft bed every night, the security and the respectability of their village there to, to go and travel who knows where and ultimately become martyrs. Think of them giving up all that. But look what they gained. Imagine to be able to sit at the feet of the creator of the universe for three years and learn the truth and serve alongside of them. Their lives would change forever, folks. They were never, ever the same. And by the way, would there be a substantial profit? Yep. Do you know that uh, in heaven, the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, we find in Revelation 21 to 14, that the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Can you imagine throughout all eternity, there's their names, James, John, Simon, Andrew, and eight others engraved forever as a substantial prophet for serving the Lord. Now, let me just close by saying, those guys are gone, and their opportunity to serve is over. But we're here, it's our time, and we have an incredible privilege, don't we, beloved, to be able to serve the Lord. God help us to forsake all and follow the Lord. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.